and welcome to Birkbeck Voices. I'm Louisa Ackerman and this week I'm speaking to Catherine Hurd from the Institute for Criminal Policy Research about a project on understanding and reducing the use of imprisonment. Catherine, can you tell me a little bit more about the project and what it aims to do? So broadly we've, we're trying to do three things with this project. First of all we want to provide a, a really good understanding of how imprisonment is used in response to crime. Then we want to highlight the harms of excessive use of imprisonment. And finally, we want to try and find some workable, country-specific ways of reducing the use of imprisonment. Why are you undertaking this project now? Well, at ICPR, for some years now, we've been publishing the World Prison Brief, which is uh, a database that holds stats on the prison populations of pretty much every country in the world. And these statistics show that rates of imprisonment have increased a lot um, in recent decades in most of the world. So prison regimes have become a lot more dangerous and more punitive, and there's too much pre-trial imprisonment in many parts of the world. Um, And all of these rising prisoner numbers have outstripped the resourcing of criminal justice of prison systems. So the result of that is, firstly, really inhumane and degrading prison conditions, and secondly, bad rehabilitation outcomes, which leads to more crime and more insecurity. So this isn't just a human rights issue, it's not just a social justice issue. It's a development issue and it's a security issue as well, and it's something we all need to be concerned about. This project is looking at 10 particular countries, their prison populations and the outcomes of those in custody. Um, Brazil, the USA, Kenya, Thailand, South Africa, India, England and Wales, Hungary, the Netherlands and Australia. Can you tell us a bit more about why you decided to focus on these 10 in particular? Sure, yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting mix. We wanted to cover all five continents of the world, um, but we also wanted to make sure transferable lessons could be learned from this work about the factors that lead to high prison levels and what might be effective in reducing imprisonment. So we picked countries that were really diverse in terms of economic prosperity, legal systems, use of imprisonment, but also we chose countries where there's relatively good data available. And uh, you'll have probably noticed there that in that list there are some countries that have federal systems. And in those cases, so that we can get really deep analysis going, we've, we've gone for single states within those countries for some of the more detailed research. In America, we're going for New York State. In Brazil, we're going for Sao Paulo. In India, we're going for the capital territory of Delhi, and we've selected New South Wales as our Australian territory. So, because every one of these countries has got a really different story to tell about its use of imprisonment. Starting with Africa, um, in Kenya, prisons are currently operating at over twice their capacity. We've got TB, we've got scabies, other medical problems really common among prisoners, And in Kenya, one of the key problems is they use imprisonment for really minor crimes that we might think of as sort of just administrative things, like selling something by the roadside without the correct form of licence. And also in Kenya, that there is a really big problem with pre-trial detention, and it's making a big contribution to these overcrowding levels, and it would be so easy to resolve that. Our second African country is South Africa, where prisons are also very, very overcrowded. And that's partly because of a 3,000% rise in the number of prisoners serving life sentences between 
1995 and 2014. Moving from Africa to the Americas, Brazil has seen prisoner numbers increase 20-fold, from around 30,000 in 1973 to over 600,000 today. And you may have read in the news recently, you know, many prisons are under gang control. We've, we've seen riots, we've seen massacres and extreme violence regularly reported in Brazil. The United States, obviously very, very different, but it's, it's got around one-fifth of the world's prisoners. We could hardly not include the country in our study. Its prison population quadrupled from about half a million in 1980 to a peak of more than 2.3 million in 2008. Looking at the United States, we've shown just how disproportionately the black community is represented, with over 40% of the prison population and jail population, but less than 15% of the general population. In Asia, the countries we've chosen are India and Thailand. India is an interesting case because its prison population rate is the lowest of our 10 countries, but its prisons are severely overcrowded. And in terms of overall numbers, it does have a very high population of prisoners. But almost 70% of them are actually pre-trial detainees. They are waiting for final decisions in their cases. And Thailand has also seen a big leap in its prison population. Largely, that's the result of very punitive approaches to drug offences. And that's affected women in particular. Over 80% of sentenced women prisoners are in there for drug offences. And how about the European countries that you've chosen? England and Wales has seen its prison population more than double since 1975, and you'll have read that violence, suicide and self-harm are at a record high. Um, I mean, there were four prison riots just in 2016. In Hungary, they've had big tough-on-crime measures in recent years, which have reversed prior declines in prisoner numbers, and those are now reaching levels not seen since, you know, before the fall of communism in the mid-80s. They've increased the use of imprisonment for minor offences. Um, Roma and gypsy people are completely overrepresented in criminal justice statistics. And our third European country is the Netherlands, and that is the, the, the piece of good news in this project, because the Netherlands has, has managed to achieve a sustained reduction in imprisonment levels, Numbers there have fallen steadily since 2005, but it, it hasn't always been good. Um, so in um, the late 80s and throughout the 90s, the Netherlands had comparatively really high prison numbers compared to other Western European states. And Australia? Australia. So Australia is a very interesting country because their punitive policies uh, have, have become harsher and harsher. Prisoner numbers have gone up a lot, and they've followed America's example of mandatory minimum sentences, for example. And the other thing we see there is that indigenous people represent over a quarter of adult prisoners, whilst they make up just about 2% of all adult Australians. So we're beginning to see quite a common theme running through all of these countries, with this complete over-representation of people from particular ethnic groups and racial groups. So how did these countries get to where they are now in terms of their prisoner populations? When you look at the trends of these ten over the last, say, half a century, 
you can see how quickly some of them kind of almost sleepwalked into this uncontrolled growth in prison populations. Um, the post-war period itself has just seen unprecedented hikes in numbers in some countries. Um, but for all the extra demand for prison places, there's just not been a matching investment um, to expand the prison estate in these countries or the number of prison officers. And that's resulted in terrible overcrowding and, and really dangerous conditions in some of them. And what do we learn about these countries' histories, about the factors that drive the imprisonment levels? That's something that we really are keen to, to, to get out of this project, actually. We, we want to do justice to how wide the array of different factors um, at work here actually, actually is. So we want to, to look not just about crime levels um, or just about how punitive a country's legal system is. We want to really get at you know, how the wider socio-political uh, picture influences all of this um, and we've kind of developed a model quite an interesting way of, of looking at this we we can see that obviously the most direct determinant of the size of a country's prison population is going to be a country's criminal justice practices so you know for example do they have community sentences in place? Do they have electronic tagging to make sure that people don't go to prison when they could be on bail? Um, how risk-averse are judges when they're coming to decide whether to give someone bail or not? Or how risk-averse would the parole board be in deciding whether someone's ready to be released yet? But obviously, criminal justice practices are fixed by a country's legal and policy framework to some extent. Criminal offences are, you know, basically what a country's law says are criminal offences. Who gets prosecuted, who goes to prison, how long for, all these things depend on a country's laws and policies. But on top of that, there are what we've kind of called extra-legal factors, which are things operating outside formal justice systems, but can be really important, like resourcing. How well-resourced is your court system? In India, the reason so many people are stuck in prison waiting for their case to be uh, tried or, or sentenced is simply that the courts are at a virtual standstill in much of the country because of lack of judges and lack of resourcing. But as I said a moment ago, you know, the socio-political factors both at national and international levels, are really important influence on prison population size. And yet they're often kind of overlooked because studies focus quite narrowly on what does the law say, you know, how the law has changed the sentencing framework, and so on. So, so we really want to tease out some of these socio-political factors in this project. And do you feel optimistic? Do you feel like there's a scope for reform within the prisons? Well, I think that there are some themes that run through what we've seen so far with our 10 countries um, that, that shows two things, really. First of all, there is an incredibly big disparity um, across these countries and more broadly uh, in the numbers in custody, the conditions that they um, are, are, are involved in when they're in prison and the reasons that they're there. And secondly, there's clearly nothing inevitable about 
ever-rising prison numbers. That's seen very clearly from the case of the Netherlands. So if the Netherlands could go from being one of the highest users of incarceration in Western Europe to the lowest, and today is actually renting out space in its prisons to countries with too many prisoners, um, it's actually turned one, one of its prisons into a hotel. You know, you can basically see quite clearly that there's nothing inevitable about these ever-rising numbers, and that should, that should make us pretty optimistic about the scope for reform. But I think what's really important is to look at the biggest, you know, the, the most important themes that need to be tackled if we're going to curb the use of imprisonment. And we, we've come up with, in this recent report, five key themes that we think are uh, you, you need to have in mind to inform your strategy for curbing imprisonment. Number one, politicisation of sentencing. So you've really got to be careful that you don't allow you know, what, what's been called governing through crime. Longer sentences, tougher regimes in order to, you know, to campaign um, in political terms and so on. It's become all too commonplace, uh, that, that kind of um, strategy, and it, it's, it's actually just led to inflation of sentences and longer and longer prison sentences. Secondly, look at who is going into prison and, and, and look at what kind of offending you're sending them to prison for. Is the resort to custody too easy? Have you got enough alternatives in your legal system? Have you got electronic monitoring? Have you got a probation system? Have you got some programs in place to provide alternatives? We've also looked at drug policy to try and work out just how big the influence of tough on crime policies are in, the, in connection with drugs, because drugs really have been a big contribution contributing factor to rising prisoner numbers in many of the countries we're looking at. And finally, pre-trial and remand, as, as I've mentioned already, that is 25% of the global prison population who haven't been finally tried or sentenced. It really doesn't need to be that high, and it's an easy, a relatively easy one politically for countries to, to start reforming. So, you know, I think in a nutshell, if reform is to be achieved, these, these themes are likely a good place to start. But I mean, more importantly, I think it's, there are two fundamental questions that you have to, have to ask. Number one, what are the purposes of imprisonment as a response to, to crime? You know, what do we really expect imprisonment to, to, to do for us beyond incapacitating someone? Secondly, could these purposes be better achieved in some other way? And I think those two are going to run right through this project for us, all the way through. Could you tell us a bit more about the wider project and what's next for it? Well, this, this project itself, we're calling it Understanding and Reducing the Use of Imprisonment. It's going to have two main components. Um, number one would be research and analysis to understand what drives states' use of imprisonment. That is, you know, the, the, I think for me the most interesting thing about the research phase is that we're going to have very close reference to real-life cases. So in our each of our ten jurisdictions, we're going to be working with defence lawyers um, to to identify 
actual cases of people who have spent time in custody or are currently serving a custodial sentence and to sort of map the custody journey for these people at every stage from from pre-trial detention right through to release and try to work out and understand the criminal justice structures and processes within which these these cases are, are located and the effects of imprisonment. And the second part of the process of this project will be policy development. We will we'll be working with NGOs and reformers in the 10 jurisdictions to, to come up with measures for reducing the resort to imprisonment, obviously informed by the, the work that we've done at the research and analysis stage. And what will the methodology you use for this project be? Well, as I said, we'll, we'll be looking at real cases. So obviously we'll be analysing case documentation. We'll be interviewing offenders, defence lawyers, but also judges and prosecutors, people from NGOs. We'll be consulting with academics in all of the 10 countries. We're working with the law firm Clifford Chance, who have offices in each of these countries and have offered us pro bono legal advice on the criminal justice frameworks um, involved. Um, We are interested in looking at the whole legal and policy framework. We're looking at the wider national criminal justice context to see what crime levels have have looked like in in the particular state um, during recent times. And as I said before, the socio-political and economic factors that shape criminal justice policy will also be something that we look at really closely. We will publish um, a national report for each of the 10 jurisdictions. So these will have summaries of the case histories uh, as well as descriptions of the legal uh, and the sort of extra-legal and socio-political um, information from, from, from each country that, that sort of frames the, the individual case stories. So I'm hoping that these are going to be really concise and accessible um, documents and obviously it's important that, that they are... Um, capable of forming an evidence base for the for the policy work that we'll do in phase two. And what do you expect the policy outputs to be? That will obviously depend on what the country research produces, but I reckon it will probably include at least one composite report that summarises what's found in the national reports with, with a big focus on the key drivers to both increased and reduced levels of imprisonment. Uh, We also want to produce some policy toolkits for reducing the use of prison for states with very high or rapidly increasing prisoner numbers. And thirdly, we will put together a report representing the the main findings of the project with recommendations for international agencies like the UN Office on Drugs and Crime who are very keen for, for help in driving down prisoner numbers. And I I think that the the project will culminate with an international conference to to launch the the reports. Thank you very much for sharing the project with us today, Catherine. It's absolutely fascinating, and I look forward to seeing what the research uncovers.